Would you join me tonight in the book of Zechariah? The book of Zechariah, and we're going to be in chapter 13, and I'd like to begin reading with verse 1. We have read that, we've mentioned it, we've gone over it a little bit, but the blessing of that verse continues to be a blessing to the church every time I read it. It's a blessing to me. And so we'd like to start there tonight in Zechariah chapter 13, and we're going to read down through verse 7, and then spend some time, most of our time, I want to spend on verse 5. Let's look at this. In that day, in that gospel day, in that day that the Lord has appointed for each of His lost sheep to hear the gospel, I believe that that day was apparent to Abel in the, just outside the garden. I believe it was apparent to their parents, his parents, just outside the out of the garden that the Lord instructed him as he covered them with the skins of animals that the only hope and the only covering we'd have would be in a substitute and not ourselves. We find that it had to be that way also with Noah. It had to be that way with uh, David and Solomon. It had to be that way with all the saints throughout all ages that God would appear and bring that gospel in that day. Now, it's not necessary that we remember the day of the month or the week or the year, whatever. That's not the, the part. It is that there was a time when God gave us the knowledge of Jesus Christ as our Savior, that we quit depending upon self and we trusted Him. And then we realized that that trust, that faith, is what He gave us to respond to Him, because ours will not accomplish it. We may have a will, and I can move this book here, this message book, by my will. But when it comes to spiritual things, I cannot get there from here. In my natural state, it is not something that I can accomplish. So he makes us willing in the day of his power. So as we look at this now, in that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanliness. Now right here in this verse of scripture, it shares with us that this fountain was not for everybody. This fountain was on purpose for a group of people that had been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, whose names had been written down in the Lamb's Book of Life, and they are called here the house of David. They are called here in this passage the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and in other places we find them called the church. Other places we find them called the sheep of his pasture. The other places we find that they're his elect. They're just multitude of ways that God identifies his people and shares with us his name for them. My little flock. What a blessed account that the Lord shares with us in that. And so the inhabitants of the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now not one bit of this fountain will be wasted. This will accomplish that whereunto he had purposed it and he will save to the uttermost everyone that he takes to this fountain, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will, and this is what he's going to do for those he washes in the blood of the Lamb. This is what he will do for those he saves by his grace. This is what he will do for those he regenerates. And the necessity of regeneration is brought throughout the scriptures. We find here in that day, 
that the Lord is going to do something. The Lord of hosts is going to do this. He's the almighty God. He's the uh, everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land. Now that's what he's going to do for his elect. He's going to take us and by his grace, he's going to give us repentance. And repentance is not something we do with sin. The only one that can deal with sin is Jesus Christ and his blood. That's, we cannot repent of our sins. We, we're not powerful enough. It's not an accomplishment that we're going to have. And he must be given the credit for overcoming all our sin. And then when we stand before him and he gives us that new body and we have no sin, we have no tears, we have no anything that we had in this life, it's still going to be because of him. So, and I'll cut off the names of the idols out of the land. You know, once the Lord does something for somebody, they cannot return to the septic tank that they were in. They cannot return to the swill that they're used to. It is an abomination to return to that sort of thing. And then it says, and they shall no more be remembered. And also I'll cause the prophets and unclean spirits to pass out of the land. Everybody that we thought was important is going to be taken off of their pedestal and Christ will be established as the one we look to and the one we worship and he will become the object of our worship. And as Brother Henry had that guy tell him, you've just made Christ an idol. And he says, that's the best compliment you could have ever given me. Christ, our object of worship. Now that's what is going to happen. So the Lord's going to do all that. In verse 3, and it shall come to pass that when any shall yet prophesy, that his father and his mother that began, begat him shall say unto him, Thou shalt not live. Now this, as we drop down here through verses 3, 4, and 5, we're going to find out some words are said to those who are contrary to that fountain. That's what it is. Contrary to God's everlasting purpose of grace. Contrary to what he has to say. Contrary to his word. That's what these prophets were practicing. And that's the prophets that God's going to take and break the relationship with his saints that have that relationship with them. We're no longer... Now, I love the man who brought me the gospel, but he's not the one I worship. <laughs> I love hearing his preaching. I love... Yet, I love it. I loved it after I was saved. I loved it a lot. <laughs> Before I was saved, it did... Oh, it made me so mad because he did not point anybody to anything but to Christ. And I was ready for something else. All right. Then shall thou shalt not live, for thou speakest lies in the name of the Lord. This is where that false prophet is. And I'm thankful that the Lord takes us away from that. That he takes us away from the words of the false prophet that we were following. And our worst false prophet is ourself. It is us that has been entwined with falsehood. You know, it is, it is just interesting as we look, we find that the true prophet, every true prophet, whether it's Jeremiah, Isaiah, or any gospel preacher today, a prophet of the Lord who preaches the gospel of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ, every true prophet started life in false worship. Nobody has ever been born that had it straight by birth. Everybody that's ever been born had it wrong by birth. 
we, we may have uh, consented or agreed with our parents if they had something to say about the gospel. Even if they knew the truth about the gospel, we may have consented, but we didn't know it in our heart. We were worshipers of a false gospel. We were following after false worship, and, uh, and someone declared the truth, and God was pleased to bear fruit. That's what happens. Someone came along that had the truth, that knew the gospel, and preached the gospel. Peter, might have been Peter. Look at those as he was sent to the Gentiles. Or it might have been Nathaniel who came to Peter. Or it might Stephen, whoever it was, who knew something had to be revealed to him. Stephen was just as much of an apostate as you and I are by our natural birth. We are enmity with God. We're, we're, we're at a warfare with him because we do not agree with what he has to say about us. We're better than that. And we'll argue with God over it. And we'll argue with his word over it. Or we'll just say, I don't believe it. And I'm not going to read it. Well, the true prophet declares God as he is reported in the word. Now, we're nothing more than reporters. We have nothing to add to the message. We have nothing to take away from the message. And woe be to the people that do that. We are reporters. And our report is about God. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? So that is required. There must be a revelation that comes through the new birth. Unless the God of the Bible is declared, a false prophet has spoken. They have been identified by what they have to say about the true God, the true and the living God. Was someone, and it's very easy for us to do this in our natural state, God loves everybody. That's just as natural and normal, but it's altogether wrong. <laughs> and God died for everybody. Christ died for everybody. That's just, that's just logical for us to say because we want to be included, and yet we find out that's not the truth. And when the truth is preached, when the truth is uh, brought out, it exalts God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are lifted up. And that is a wonderful place to have God because then we are comforted. When we have a God that is lifted up and is able to do what he said he would do, that is comfort. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Now some true prophets... There are some true prophets, but there are many false prophets, and we're going to look at some of that here in the, in the Scriptures. But let's read on here in this passage of Scripture. It says here, shall come to pass in that day, the prophet shall be ashamed, every one of his vision, when he hath prophesied, neither shall he, they wear a rough garment to deceive. So the Lord is going to, if he saves one of these prophets, they're going to get rid of their liturgical garments, <laughs> They're going to get rid of their their uh, things that they wear to identify themselves as a prophet, because God saves His people, and that one of the great prophets of, in fact, the last prophet, uh, Old Testament prophet John, he wore a leathern girdle and camel's hair. He didn't dress as a prophet should you know anyway okay now now look here at verse 5 but he shall say 
I am no prophet. Now, I, I, I talked uh, to Brother Craig last night when he picked, picked me up, Nancy and I, at the airport, and took us over to the car. I said, I, I'm having some difficulty with that passage of Scripture because there's only one time in all the Old Testament that this particular word is used like this. Every other time, it has to do with something purchase, purchaser, or buyer. Now, I just want to read out of the King James says, but he shall say, I am no prophet, I am a husbandman, for a man taught me to keep cattle from the youth. The Amplified. And, uh, but he, shall, he will I, deny his identity and say, I am no prophet, I am a tiller of the ground, for I have been made a bondservant from my youth. And the New American Standard, but he shall say, I am not a prophet. I am a tiller of the ground, for a man sold me as a slave in my youth. And finally, the New International Version says, uh, he will say, I am not a prophet. I am a farmer. The land was, has been my livelihood since my youth. Now, there doesn't seem to be much agreement between all of the translators, and it doesn't stop with just the new ones. It's the old ones, too. So I want to share just a little bit what I feel this has to say. I believe this verse of Scripture is speaking as the Lord spoke it about himself. Because in verse 1, there is a fountain. And we're going to go on in the next verse, it tells me, and commentators said this is talking about a prophet who has been wounded by his friends. I believe that this is speaking about Christ. And so is verse 7. All right, it says, and he shall say, I am no prophet. Now from from the viewpoint that I see this, the Lord is saying, I'm not like those prophets. I'm not like those prophets. And he is going to be vindicated in verse 7. There it says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts, smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. He is vindicating himself as the true prophet because of what was recorded about him in the Old Testament and what he brings up about himself in the New Testament. I am this. Here I am. I am the true prophet. Now, keep your finger right here and go with me back to the book of Deuteronomy, if you would. Chapter 18 of the book of Deuteronomy. Now, Moses wrote of Christ. And in this passage of Scripture, Moses is certainly sharing with us a wonderful message about Christ that he is going to be the true prophet. Christ is the true prophet. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. Moses is, is speaking, Moses is writing, and he's sharing this. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, and the scriptures share this. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet, and look what the translators did with that word. They capitalized it. They recognized that this is going to be the true prophet. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ never had to learn to be a prophet. The Lord Jesus Christ never had to be called out of anywhere else to be a prophet. He's been the eternal prophet of the church. He's been the one that has eternally spoken on behalf of the church in the covenant of grace, but he has also spoken for the church and to the church. He is the one that has continuously brought the truth about the, the salvation that is in Christ Jesus to the church. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, 
of thy brethren like unto me. Now he has going to have similarities to me. He's going to come in a human body, yet without sin. That's the promise. And he's going to come out of Israel, more specifically out of the tribe of Judah. Now I'm so thankful that he was not of the tribe of Levi, and there's much written in the book of Hebrews on why that's a good quality. Because the tribe of Levi was chosen to be the priests and be over the law, and yet they had a great failing. They died. They died, and they continuously died, and they never could continue. But this prophet, this one, this priest, this king, is a, 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 a priest after the order of Melchizedek without beginning of days or end of life. And we say hallelujah. hallelujah. He's in a different line. Now he's of the tribe of Israel, but he's in a different line. Of thy brethren like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. And in that same chapter, in verse 18, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and I'll put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them that all that I shall command him. Now, the Lord did not need a great education, but for our benefit, he is, the, uh, Moses is called on to share that this one is going to come, and he is going to share the gospel. He's going to preach the gospel. He's going to preach the truth. And then in that same chapter, in uh, verse 19, it says, and it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. So it's going to be a life or death issue on this point. You are going to either agree with him or continue in your life of disagreement. That's the way it is. You will agree, and the only way we agree is he takes away the enmity. Our enmity. He takes, and the new birth does that. The new birth takes away the natural enmity towards God and the scriptures say that the covenant of grace is going to cause us to love him. We will love him. We will love him and we'll love his people. We'll love him and we'll love his people. All right, so we have this great prophet is going to come and if we go over to the New Testament, the book of Acts, we find that Stephen talked about this prophet. He's mentioned two or three times there in the, in the book of Acts about being the prophet and there was a time when people came to the Lord, came to John and says, are you this prophet? He says, no, I'm not that prophet. There's one coming that is. All right, now, the Lord, as we look here in the book of Zechariah, chapter 13 and verse 5, he shall say, I'm no prophet. I am not that kind of prophet. I'm not in it for pay. I'm not in it for glory. I'm, uh, I'm self-glory. I'm in it for the glory of the covenant of grace. And here we find, and I'm a husbandman. Now, we go to the New Testament. We find out he is the chief husbandman. He's, the one, he's our husband. He's the husbandman of the vineyard. He's the husbandman of his flock. He is the true husbandman. And then it says there, for man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. Well, I think if we looked at that, we'd find out I shall purchase my sheep is going to be a better translation of that passage of Scripture. But nonetheless, well, 
The Old Testament is just filled with examples of good prophets and bad prophets, evil prophets, wicked prophets. And if you turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, now, you know, I think right now, I think when we finish the book of Zechariah, we've got a chapter and a half to go. I think we're going to go to the book of Jeremiah, and that will be my lifetime book. I will never finish it. But anyway, turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1. Jeremiah, chapter 1. In Jeremiah, chapter 1, and verse 5, we have this said about Jeremiah. Now, this is a statement about any prophet of the Lord. This must happen. Most, well, I should say all false prophets are never called of the Lord. They're not called. Now, he uses them. He uses them. He uses them to shift out to sift out the wheat. He uses them to identify the truth. He uses them, but they are not called of him to be a prophet. And he's going to share that with us. Here in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Now, this is the words of Jeremiah, verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, and this is the word that came to him. And this is true about every one of his elect. Before you were in the belly, I knew you. Where did he know him? He knew him in the covenant of grace. He knew him in a name written down in the Lamb's book of life. He knew him in a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He knew him in eternal righteousness, eternal love, eternal justification, eternal everything is on the behalf of the church. He didn't have to create something along the way. He doesn't have to give us something that he never had for us because it's all covered in the covenant of grace. All right, it says there in verse uh, 5, it says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Now he's been set apart from his birth. You know, it doesn't tell us a whole lot about Hilkiah, but Hilkiah and his wife was used of the Lord to bring Jeremiah into this world. And every one of his lost sheep, when they're born into this world, have been set aside, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. They're going to come to a place where they hear something. God's going to allow them to hear the gospel. God's going to purpose that they hear the gospel. And when they do, he's going to work a work of grace. He's going to give them the new birth, and then they will worship God and no longer worship their false idols. All right? It says here, Then said I, Oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto him, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. Whether, you know, at first, I'm sure that Jeremiah was just like every preacher. Surely not me. Thou shalt go, that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces. Now, Jeremiah is going to spend, I don't know how much time, in a pit, in mire, up to his neck. By order 
And the king says, get him out of there. Thank God he gets us out of the pit. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. Now that's all we have. When we speak our own words, we're making a grave error. When we have the words of the Lord, we cannot be mistaken. We cannot make an error. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down and to build and to plant. Now, isn't that an interesting statement that God makes with regard to a gospel preacher? You're going to have to pull down, throw down, pitch down, and then to build and to plant. One plants, one waters, God gives the increase. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ was not like any of the false prophets that were ever brought to Israel. He did not have any intent to get rich. He didn't have any intent to promote himself. In that sense, he came to lay down his life, a ransom for many. And this is what we have different. Jeremiah is a called prophet. And there is much said in the book of Jeremiah. If you just want a word study, look up prophets or prophets in the book of Jeremiah. There's hundreds of times that particular word is used in the book of Jeremiah. And most of the time it is used about those false prophets that have been raised up and tell certain things to people. God would never send a sword against you. We're Israel. All right. Turn with me, if you would, to the uh, second chapter of the book of Jeremiah and verse uh, 8, second chapter of the book of Jeremiah. I'm not like the false prophets, but if you find a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament or the New Testament that talks about prophets sent from the Lord, I'm that one. I am that prophet. I have the word of the Lord in my mouth, and I will declare it. He turned his word turned the world upside down. In it. That's what other people said about it. And he would step into a crowd of religious people, and before you knew it, what did they want to do with him? They wanted to kill him. Because his very word went against their own self-righteousness and their religion. Chapter 2, verse 8. The priest said, Not, where is the Lord? And they that handle the law, Knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal, and walked after things that do not profit. You know, there's a lot of stuff brought out from pulpits that just do not profit. I heard a message one time, whether we're dichotomous or trichotomous. Now that's something to study, but you'll never hear me mention it from the pulpit. It just isn't there. And what did we hear up at that camp? What was that term that that guy used? Oh, I can't even remember. Two and a half or three hours on this subject that did not profit. All right, in that same chapter, in verse 26, as the thief is ashamed when he is found out, (laughs) 
So is the house of Israel ashamed, they, their kings, their princes, and their priests, and their prophets, saying to a stock, thou art my father, and to a stone thou hast brought me forth. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> to a stock of wheat, hear my father. To a stone brought me forth. For they have turned their back unto me, and not their face. And in time of their trouble they shall say, arise and save us. Does not profit. What use is it? It is so useless. Useless. All right, chapter 14 here of the book of Jeremiah. If you turn there with me, verse 13 and 14. Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 13. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say unto them, Ye shall not see the sword, neither shall ye have famine. But I will give you assured peace in this place. Then the Lord said unto me, The prophets prophesy lies. Now notice that last part. In my name. You know, I was reminded uh, while I was gone of something I'd heard many years ago. But someone was extolling the extreme pain that the Lord went through when he was crucified and driving the nails. This was on Easter morning. Driving the nails through his hands and feet and the crown that was put on him and all the stripes on his back and said, if I was there, this preacher said that if I was there, I would not have let it happen. You know, does not profit because that death is absolute glory for the church. Put sin away. Put sin away. So what a glorious thing. And then in that same chapter, verse 14, verse uh, chapter 14, uh, there in uh, uh, verse uh, 15 it says, Therefore thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that prophesy in my name, and I sent them not. Yet they say, sword and famine shall not be in this land. By sword and famine shall those prophets be consumed. And in verse 18 of that chapter, it says, If I go forth into the field, then behold the slain with the sword. And if I enter into the city, then behold them that are sick with famine. Yea, both prophet and priest go about in the land that they know not. Brother Gary preached a message. I listened to it while I was down there. It said that to preach the gospel, you must know the gospel. (laughs) To preach the gospel, you must believe the gospel. And these guys did not know it, nor did they believe it. They did not believe God. You know, it's an interesting thing when we get to look in that every pagan tribe and every troop of Druids and every shaman among the native peoples and every uh, uh, statement and testimony of the prophets of false gods They had prophets. They had their prophets. False prophets. And you know the gospel, when it comes, breaks those false prophets and can make them prophets of the Lord. Every place man was before the flood and every place humanity was scattered after the flood Religion has been scattered with them just like the flu. (laughs) Everywhere. It's such a contaminant. 
It is everywhere you go, in every culture, in every society, and we think here we've got it better, but we don't. It takes the grace of God, it takes the new birth, it takes the gospel to do what God intended to do to save his people from their sins. This is so necessary. Everyone among Israel was also inflicted with the wrong view of God. Even his chosen people had a wrong view. And he comments on that throughout the book of Numbers. But not just in the book of Numbers, but Deuteronomy and Leviticus. You will not do what I ask. Well, he's got them on probation. There is an example And he is going to prove after doing all that he did for them, I did not give you a heart to believe. When he gives a heart to believe, they will believe. Only by the good providence of God do we ever get to hear the good prophet. Now let's go back there to the book of of, uh, Zechariah. Zechariah Chapter 13, verse 5. I am no prophet. I'm not like that. I am someone that cares about my my vines. I'm someone who cares about my people. I'm someone who cares. And I've had this given to me from the very beginning. You look at here, it says, uh, taught me to keep cattle from my youth. The Lord had his interest in his people from eternity. From the very beginning. Now we're not saying that he was young and now is old. We're saying that here's an illusion. Here is a, uh, a metaphor about him having this burden put upon him from eternity. And he's not some just someone who comes along. But he's the one who has had this plan to save his people from their sins from eternity. And he is the true prophet that has the truth about the prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... Goes on to say, and one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thy hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Now, we've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. If you compare what Judas did with what Peter did, and weighed it out, you'd find out that there's not even a nickel's worth of difference. It is said about Judas, it would be better if you were never born. And it's said about Peter, I have prayed for you. That's the difference. This one, this Lord, this prophet, has an interest in his lost sheep. He has an interest in his saved sheep. And he has prayed for it. I pray not for the world. I pray for my church. I pray for my people. And so he has an altogether different view than most people have about a God that's going to save his people. This prophet has a view that has been settled in the covenant of grace before the foundation of the world. He has been an eternal husbandman. He has been an eternal prophet. He has been an eternal savior. He has been eternally interested in the welfare and salvation of his people and he is at about doing all that ever can be done and will be done to save them i had a young man tell me today norm if what you have to say is right i am lost 
and I'm a false prophet. And I said, what did you say? I'm lost, and I'm a false prophet. Now, you know what? I didn't agree with him. I didn't say a word. I'm just going to let him stew. I believe the Lord is doing a work. Here it says in verse 5, And he shall say, I am no prophet. I am not like any of those Old Testament prophets that fooled the people of God and were self-interested and about the business. Now, Jeremiah was told one time by some false prophets, you should die. And he's told by another group of them, almost at the same time, you will die. And he's told by the king, you shall not die. That's God's business with his prophets. Now, false prophets, what happened to all those false prophets? Was it 400 prophets of Baal that came up one time with one other prophet, prophet of the Lord? I'm going to keep him. And he had 400 prophets of Baal slain. Now, we're not about the business of slaying prophets today. That's not our business. All we have to use is the Word of God, and the Word of God will tear down, the Word of God will destroy, the Word of God will build up, the Word of God will give life. That's all we have. We don't have weapons of human warfare or physical warfare. We have weapons of spiritual warfare. And Brother Gary and I were visiting, and we've come to this conclusion, most people are desperately afraid of the power of the Holy Spirit. We just can't give up our children to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we just, we can't give up. We, and people have this idea that we've got to teach them the law to make them conform. What about the Holy Spirit? He's all-powerful. He can make us conform. He can restrict us. He can constrain us. We don't need to have the law. The Holy Spirit does that, has done that, and will continue to do that, and will not fall under the guise of I'm keeping the law. The Lord has done that for me. Well, the last verse that we're going to read here, and we'll bring it, we'll take this up again next time, verses 6 and 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered, and I'll turn my hand upon the little ones. Now the Lord Jesus brings this very passage of Scripture up with regard to himself and what's going to happen. There's a reason that he could not have Peter holding his hands. We cannot have Aaron and hers at the cross. We cannot have people to support the Lord at the cross. He must do it alone. Or they would have said, as religion had, Peter helped him, Paul helped him. No, Jesus Christ did it all on his own because he made sure everybody else ran. Denied him. They could not take part in this victory. 
This is the victory of Christ. Now, they had part of it because it had been given to them in the gospel, but they were not going to be part of it here. So, awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against my fellow. And those are the two things we want to look at in that verse of Scripture next week. And verse 6, one shall say unto him, What are the wounds in thy hands? Then, then he shall answer those with which I wo- was wounded in the house of my friends. What did he say about the person who kissed him? The Psalms say that he was one of those, one of his. Everybody thought they could have betrayed the Lord except Judas. Because they said, is it I? Is it I? All right, we'll close there for tonight. We'll uh, continue looking into this book of Zechariah. And we'll pick up at this point next time. And we're thankful for the time that the Lord has given us tonight.